Hey, folks, before we get into this episode of RNFM Radio, I need to let you know about a conference happening, the National Nurses and Business Association Conference, St. Pete Beach, Florida, September 8th through the 10th. And our pre-con, Pulse Media Group is hosting a pre-con September 8th from 1 to 4 p.m. where we talk about the power of podcasting. If you've ever thought about how you can level up your content marketing for your brand, your business, your endeavor, whatever it is that you're doing, hey, listen, almost 70 million Americans are tuning into podcasts and that's growing each and every day. That's a lot of ears to get your content to. So, hey, come to the experts. We're the experts here at Pulse Media and we're going to be at the National Nurses and Business Association Conference. And again, that's happening on September 8th from 1 to 4 p.m. St. Pete Beach, Florida, and we hope to see you there. What's up, everyone in RNFM Radio Land? We're back with RNFM Radio 4.0, and we couldn't be more thrilled that you're here with us. We're super grateful for you tuning in and super lucky that you're part of the RNFM Radio family. As you know, we're members of the Pulse Media Network at PulseMediaNetwork.com, along with Elizabeth Scala's Your Next Shift, The Nurse Keith Show, The Gluten-Free RN, and some other shows coming down the pipeline like Kevin Ross's new audio baby, The Kick Flip Effect. Just so you know, the show notes for this episode can be found at rnfmradio.com, episode 254. That is RNFM Radio, episode 254. And now we're going to welcome my co-hosts and partners in podcasting crime. Sean Dent, how are things in Pennsylvania today? What's up, RNFM Radio family? Keith, it's it's a bit cold in my area of the world. I don't know about you. No, it's warm and sunny here in Santa Fe. Sorry about that. And uh, Ashley Poffett-Miller, you're up in Denver north of me. How are you today, Ms. Married Lady? I am lovely today, and I have to say that out here in Colorado, it doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Gets it. Rub salt in my wounds. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Every time. Every single time. <laughs> Talking about the weather is always a good icebreaker, you know? We can make Sean feel bad or good, depending on how things are out here out west. <laughs> so, I'm, here, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Yeah. But Sean is the only <laughs> one of the three of us who has a swimming pool. So, you know. All things being equal, he's got it pretty good, I think. I'm suffering over here. I know you are. (laughs) (laughs) And today is actually the first time the three of us are interviewing a guest. We have Tim Raderstorff, MSNRN. We had, well, I had the honor of meeting him and hearing him speak at the NNBA conference in Vegas last year. And Ashley, you did not have a chance to meet Tim, but you're meeting him on the on the on Skype here today, and he is actually the chief innovation officer at the Ohio State University College of Nursing, where he's also a clinical instructor of practice and a DNP student, which we'll definitely touch on. His healthcare experience spans from neurosurgical research on tethered spinal cord syndrome, designing clinical spaces, developing educational programs to improve skills of the healthcare workforce in India, and transitioning and transitioning organizations into new physical locations. His true passion lies within the development of novel commercial innovations to enhance patient outcomes. And his latest invention, which we're definitely going to talk about, is a visual communication tool for the healthcare team. And it's going to be piloted by the emergency departments in the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center 
and the James Comprehensive Cancer Center this summer. Outside of his role at OSU, he owns a small real estate firm and he volunteers at Flying Horse Farms, a camp for children with serious illnesses. He's also a self-proclaimed avid curator of curiosity, and I must say he is the proud father of two 20-month-old twins. So if you hear babies crying in the background, we know what's going on at the Raiderstorf household. <laughs> so Tim Raiderstorf, welcome to RNFM Radio. Thanks so much for that great welcome. I'm happy to be here today. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. And man, um, you're like an innovator and an inventor and so many things. So what what's this what's up with you about healthcare innovation? It sounds like that's the engine that drives your train. Yes. And an engine that I didn't really know much about or know how to engage with, I guess, when I when I first found my way here. Um, but it it's kind of one of those things that once you build some momentum, um, it just keeps going downhill and downhill. And, um, you know, I've been very fortunate to work with some phenomenal leaders who have given us uh, a really long leash here and a lot of resources to uh, to do the things that we want to do and the things that we think are going to impact um, the profession of nursing and, and most importantly, um, improving patient out, uh, improving patient outcomes. So Tim, your, uh, <laughs> your title is a, is a mouthful and oh, yeah. I'm, I'm having a hard time connecting the dots. How did someone who, you know, I don't want to say started as a nurse, but mm-hmm. we all started as a nurse. How did you end up here? For, where did you make the connection? Yeah. Um, that that's it's a long journey. I don't know how far back you want me to go. I originally originally <laughs> thought I to wanted birth. To, be, to birth. Okay, so it was a hot <laughs> summer day uh, in August. Um, no, so um, I I went to a college prep school, uh, private school for high school, and uh, the boys who did good in science or did well in science were encouraged to be physicians. So I went to Ohio State and thought I'm going to be a physician, um, and then found out. Uh, through doing some job shadowing and taking organic chemistry that that maybe wasn't the right pathway forward for me. Uh, but then uh, you mentioned Flying Horse Farms in my bio. Um, Flying Horse Farms is a, a part of camps that was uh, now called Serious Fun Camps. And it was started by Paul Newman. Uh, and the, the original camp was called the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp. It's in Ashford, Connecticut. And he started in the late 80s for kids with cancer and HIV. Um, so while I was going through this um period of not knowing where I was going to be and looking, you know, squarely at my parents' basement as the next residence coming out of college. Um, for me, I realized that I wanted to be in healthcare and uh, working at these summer camps was a really fun way to do that. So I, after spending three summers volunteering and working at these camps, uh, made my way to nursing uh, through a direct entry program at Xavier University, which was a, a CNL program there. Um, and then came right up to Columbus, uh, where my, my fiance at the time, my now wife was living, um, and started working in Hemonk, which is, uh, you know, directly aligning with what I was doing, um, mm-hmm. at, at those camps. Um, and then about 13 months into that, I, um, got asked to be a manager and I was a, a young male manager managing, um, a, a great team of very tenured nurses, uh, during a really pivotal point where we were uh, moving from five outpatient clinics, consolidating to four, and then moving all of those from four buildings into into one. Um, 
So we did that and that was really fun. And then I started getting recruited to Ohio State. And I know this is a, a long-winded answer, but it, it, it all comes back here with this transition from Nationwide Children's Hospital to Ohio State. Um, because as I was interviewing for that job, uh, I came up with the invention that we're now going to be piloting here at Ohio State uh, in, in early July. And um, that invention, which is, you know, it may be a, a game changer in terms of the way that we provide care, uh, but it may not. And, and that's that's OK with me. But th- that invention itself uh, has been the catalyst of me engaging more with innovation and product development within healthcare. Um, and, you know, it's kind of one of those right place, right time things where I really wanted to do this. There weren't a lot of people that were driving it within our organization. And our leadership team said, hey, we, we see this as a, a need for nursing and an opportunity to um, uh highlight nurses role in healthcare and how we can, you know, nurses worldwide provide 90% of healthcare. Uh, so why shouldn't nurses be, you know, driving innovation and driving the, the changes to products, services, and solutions that occur within healthcare? Um, so I, I've been uh, taking this long journey, as you just heard over the last three minutes, uh, but it, it's it's gotten us to where we are today and uh, really fortunate to, to have a really visionary leader who said, you know, we need a chief innovation officer. We need someone who can, who can take on that role and really drive that, not just within the college of nursing or Columbus, but, you know, get out, get out to the um, national community and and start showcasing what nursing can do. So Tim, tell us more about this innovation studio. Yeah. So the innovation studio is a really cool interprofessional collaboration space. Um, and really what we wanted to do was provide bedside practitioners um, the opportunity to take their ideas and turn them into actions. Um, so the Innovation Studio is a movable space. It's a 16 by 16 cubicle, essentially. Um, and within that space, we have 3D printers. Uh, we'll have laser cutter this summer, um, a bunch of prototyping tools, any hand tool you can imagine, uh, all software and hardware, Arduinos, Raspberry Pis. Uh, anything that you could really need to develop some type of healthcare product, service, or solution. And what we've done is we've asked uh, our colleagues, you know, Ohio State has seven health science colleges right on, on campus. It's the only college in the, or only university in the U.S. to have all seven in one location. Um, so we've partnered with those colleges. We've partnered with our engineering school, our, our design school, our business school, um, and asked our team, our our students, faculty, and staff to develop teams uh, from different backgrounds to uh, tackle some of the biggest problems that we're facing in healthcare. So what we do is we set up, we move from location to location. Every seven weeks, this innovation studio moves to a new spot on campus that's in a a high uh, volume area, you know, a lobby of, of one of our colleges. And then during that seven weeks, teams try and develop new product solutions or services. At the end of the seven weeks, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So can you give us an example of something uh, that was created? I can give you some examples. No, I can't go too far into detail because um, we have four patents coming out of this last group. So there's a lot oh, of intellectual wow. property Ooh, treats, components treats. to it. Wow. Got it. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're looking at things like sensors, surgical drains, um, pick lines, a, a variety of different things. Um, but really what, what we're asking people to do is identify what you think is terrible about healthcare. What are, what are your pain points? What sucks about your job? And then let's, let's formulate a team around that to, to come up with a solution or service for that. Um, 
So the really cool thing about the innovation studio is at Ohio State, you know, we have all these big research labs, which is awesome and amazing things come out of them. Um, but we, what we don't have are the resources for our bedside clinicians to get their, their ideas off the ground. Um, like for my, my invention, uh, it, it took a while, but we finally got to the point after about three years where we were able to get some funding from the organization. But up to that point, I was funding it out of my own pocket. Um, so I wanted to create an, an avenue for people like me who had ideas at the bedside, but just didn't know where to start or where to go. So at the end of these seven week stints with Innovation Studio, um, we have a, an idea showcase where uh, teams come in, they present to a panel of judges, and then we decide whether or not we're going to fund them or not. They have five minutes to pitch the idea. We ask them questions for five minutes. They leave the room in the next five minutes. We give it a go or no go and then bring in the next team. Kind of like, like Shark the, Tank. Uh, ooh, yeah. yeah, I was just going to say that. Sorry, Shark Tank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's amazing. So how do you you say that this state, this innovation stage studio moves every seven weeks. Yeah. Everything's on wheels except for the walls. And so how do you decide where you go next? So what we like to do is start and end the academic year at the college of nursing. Cause that's the host college. We are very fortunate to get a, a very generous gift from, uh, from, uh, our alumni, uh, who have been funding this project. Go so go nursing. That's right. That's awesome. So what we wanted to do was, make sure that it started and ended each year at, at the College of Nursing. So um, in, in the beginning of July, uh, the innovation studio will be in the James Comprehensive um, Cancer Center, which is a world-renowned, uh, world-class cancer facility here in Columbus uh, that's associated with the university. Um, and we'll be in their lobby. So we'll not only have students, faculty, and staff uh, engaging this time around, but we'll also have patients engaging, which we're super excited about. Um, and then it's going to close down for about two weeks before we open up again for the academic year. So it'll go from the College of Nursing to our uh, Department of Design. And then at the beginning of, of, of our spring semester, it will be at the College of Engineering and then back to the College of Nursing. So I, I mentioned those, those idea showcases or those, those pitch sessions that we talked about. Um, so we decide if we're going to fund people, we give winners small grants, $500 to $1,000. But then once they get that first grant, they can come back to any of the next stops as an alumni and showcase how they've met milestones and then ask for much larger funding. So maybe next time it's $2,000, $5,000, $10,000. And our goal is to keep them in the system and keep them focused on hitting set milestones till they get to the point where our own technology commercialization office here at, the, at Ohio State um, can engage with them better. Because wow. uh, they, they're looking for finished products. Uh, which is, again, easy to do if you have a lab, or not easy to do, but easier to do if you have a lab. But for nurses or physicians or PCAs at the bedside, if you don't have those resources, it's really challenging it off the ground. So we want to give them not only the, the capital to do that, but we give them mentorship and we give them skill building exercises and, and really get people involved and engaged in that maturation process. Wow. You know, I just have to chime in really quick and just say that Kevin Ross is going to be listening to this in post-production and saying, damn, I wish I'd been on that show. <laughs> Talking about innovation and technology, he was like, wow, why did I quit RNFM radio? I should have had him on first. What is oh, this? this is I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit in for him because my ears and my skin's like just tingling, thinking about all these things that he's, he's talking about. It. You know, there was two things that popped in my mind. The first is this is the one thing that most bedside nurses have been asking for for decades is mm -hmm. 
as a bedside nurse and as a, a bedside clinician, one of the hardest pills that we have to swallow is most of the decisions that are made that affect the bedside are made by people who are not at the bedside. Exactly. And it becomes the most frustrating uh, communication gap that that nobody seems to be able to solve. And you, you seem to have solved that problem by allowing the bedside practitioners to to make decisions about tools that could solve their problems. And that, well, that's a little premature. We're not sure if we've solved it yet, but we're providing an outlet for that. So and we, yeah, we hope we, that that data is going to follow that, you know, as part of my DNP project, I'm, I'm going to be looking at not only the outcomes of these things people create, but then the job satisfaction of, um, of those who engage in these activities. So yeah, I think I agree get, with you 100%. They get their, they get the, their voice heard. And I think right. that matters more than anything else. Mm-hmm. The second thing well, quickly is that you're teaching them business strategy, something that many bedside nurses may not realize that they're either good at or that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Or that they're engaging in on, daily, on a daily basis and just don't make the connection to, you know, when, when they go to the Pixis and, and pull out supplies and they recognize that, you know, some of those things are overkill and how that impacts the organization and saves funding or saves that patient um, some additional uh, zeros on their, uh, on their bill. I think it's really important that we recognize that we, we are a business and we do engage in it quite a bit. We just don't necessarily always make those, make those connections, connect those dots. You know, what's really great. Actually, when you were explaining this, I caught my reflection in the computer screen and my eyes were just bug eyed. I, it was, <laughs> it was quite the sight. Anyway, selfie of that. And then yeah. say, do you have a no. selfie? Cause I'd really like to see that. <laughs> Um, what I'm thinking here is, you know, there's so many people out there that have these really good ideas, but one of the primary reasons why people don't even start the process of working it out is fear. And so by mm-hmm. bringing it to them and a lot, and also providing the mentorship and the training, it's, it's unbelievable. This is, I really wish you luck with this. I hope this succeeds and grows. I really do. Thank, thank you. Yeah. You, you hit on a big point there with fear. So, um, we, we do this. We, ask, we actually also host a, a workshop, a healthcare innovation entrepreneurship workshop every spring or every fall. I apologize. Um, and it, it comes back to what you said. It, it's not just the tools, but, but, but our tagline here is the tools and confidence to make informed decisions. Um, because as people start looking into innovation and entrepreneurship, starting a business is exceptional. And if it works out, that's great for everyone. Stopping someone from starting a business that they shouldn't start is just as important. Um, so, you know, as we build people's confidence, it's not just confidence that they can do things, but it's that they're going to make the right decisions moving forward. Um, so we're really excited to, to have that workshop coming up again this, this fall um, and then connecting that back to the innovation studio. Well, Tim, I just wanted to chime in here and check in with you about this healthcare Masters of Healthcare Innovation program that's happening there. Is that part of the process where you pull people into this healthcare innovation program who are interested in invention and innovation and technology? Are these two processes tied together in some way? Um. um not formally yet. So the Masters of Healthcare Innovation program is is something that I, I couldn't be more excited about here. Um, we have some world-renowned fa- faculty um, who, have, who have led um, healthcare innovation and nursing innovation for the last 10 to 15 years who have helped us design the, the program and then we'll be teaching it as well. Um, 
but it's an all online program. So part of an all online program, there's some great benefits for our students. One, uh, everyone gets to pay in-state tuition. Um, but then the other component of that is that we can't require people to come to Columbus uh, if it's a totally online program. So it's a little challenging logistically to uh, incorporate that that program fully into the innovation studio. But what we can do is allow people to do that. Um, so we're, we're um, doing a lot of user-centered design in, in terms of the coursework. Um, so we're going to let our students decide you know, where their capstone projects need to be, what are the things that they want to learn and how they want to engage with that. And I fully suspect that many of, of uh, this first cohort coming through, we had about 45 applicants, uh, which for a first time program is exceptional and only half of them are nurses. So again, it's a really neat opportunity for us to have nurses interacting and engaging with other professions in healthcare and showcasing our capabilities. Tim, it seems like you have a lot of experience with, um, testing out your own ideas or innovations. So can you tell us about some bad entrepreneurial decisions that have actually worked out for you? Yeah. So um, the first one actually goes goes back to uh, my real estate company. Um, so my cousin and I uh, were both living in Cincinnati at the time when I was about to go back to get my master's at, in, um, at Xavier. Uh, and he was working at uh, a small bank and a, a branch of a, actually a large bank, but um, in Cincinnati as well. And we were paying rent. It was, you know, a, a decent amount of rent. And we looked at each other and said, why, if we want to live here for the next three or four years, why are we um, buying or why don't we own our own house and, and just be paying to the mortgage? Now, at the time, I had maybe sixteen, eighteen hundred dollars in my bank account, um, and he, uh, you know, he was doing a little bit better than I was, but he had a lot of student loans to pay back. Um, so, you know, on, on paper, it was a, it wasn't actually the strongest decision for us, um, but we, you know, we decided that we wanted to go through with this and ended up buying a house um, together and having uh, another one of our cousins and a friend move in with us, and they were able to help with the mortgage and pay the rent. Um, but it, within that first month of living there, our sewer line um, cracked. So uh, all of the sewage from our bathroom upstairs was actually leaking out before it made it to the bathroom. Uh, but then it was getting caught in this space that we couldn't quite see. So it, our outside of the house had this mold and, and some issues, and we ended up having to remediate that. Um, oh, my. It sounds it's so, a good thing you weren't working in gastroenterology at the time. Right, Maybe that would right. have been a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Jeez. So Talk about a pain um, point. Right. So, you know, like here we are, we have this, this big bill that we have to, you know, uh, we have to pay and it, you know, totally wiped out our bank account. And I, I was at a point where I had, you know, down to zeros, but we were able to get through the process. Um, and then since then, you know, we, we've put a lot of money in the house. We fixed it up. It's a great spot. Um, and it's turned out to be a, a really great investment for us. Um, but man, at the beginning and, and during the process as we, you know, as you look back at it, it's like, this is just not the right choice. Um, so it, it worked out well for us, but, uh, going back again, you know, if it was myself or someone else advising them through the process with the amount of resources we had, um, and the know-how, you know, the, the, the know-how that we had at the time, um, we certainly weren't capable of doing it. And we're very fortunate that it that ended up working out for us. Phew. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. And then at, actually last year, 
you know, and then the thing, things continue to happen, but you just get more comfortable with it. So last year, the neighborhood that this house is in got five inches of rain in about a minute or an hour and, and 25 minutes. Um, so our, we have great tenants in there right now. They called us and said, listen, uh, there's three feet of water in the basement and it's getting higher. Um, oh, so, man. you know, our, our entire neighborhood had, uh, at least three and a half feet of water in their basement. So, um, we, we, again, you know, at this point we were a little bit more comfortable with, with, uh, the process of, of dealing with insurance and finding right contractors and getting everything sorted out. And we did. Um, so it, you know, it gets better. Um, so regardless of where you are in the entrepreneurial spectrum, if you're doing it as a nurse, as a landlord, as, as whatever it ends up being, you know, you, you get comfortable and you get better at it, but it doesn't get easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know, you, you just get, you get more acquainted with, with dealing with, uh, the barriers that get, get put in place. That's right. And Tim, you know, there are a lot of nurse entrepreneurs and those who might want to be nurse entrepreneurs who listen to RNFM radio and have over the years. And a lot of them show up at the National Nurses and Business Association conference, which is happening in Florida this September. We're all going to be there and mm-hmm. you're going to be there too. Yes, yeah. I will. And I know that you're doing a breakout session like I am. Sean <laughs> is on the main stage, um, lucky duck. But you and I are going to be doing breakout sessions and luckily yours and my breakout sessions are not at the same time. Swipe the forehead. Big win. Big win. And your pitch, well, no, not your pitch, but your talk is on building your plan and perfecting your pitch. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us without giving away the store, uh, what is, what's that about? Is that for entrepreneurs? Is that really focused on people who have something they want to bring to market or, or innovate? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I take a very broad scope of this. And, and like I said, we, we have our own workshop too. And it, it definitely doesn't have to be a healthcare solution um, that we're working on. It can be, you know, nurses, most of us work three 12 hour shifts a week, which leaves four days a week to explore other passions and other opportunities. Um, so what, what I do in this is give people a um, blueprint using what's actually called the lean canvas. So it's, it's a business plan uh, that's only one page. And, you know, it, it's it's geared to be set up so that you could sit down in, in 45 minutes or an hour, fill out what's the top of mind components to you um, to to develop this business plan. And um, and then once we develop, we go through those processes very quickly in about 20 minutes in the pitch or in the in the uh, presentation. And then we switch to, OK, now you have your plan. How do you communicate that and pitch that effectively to others? Um, and then I end up showcasing the pitch for my invention that I first did, uh, and talk about how it's evolved over time. So it's business plan development, pitch development, and then the evolution of both of those, because a business plan is a living and breathing document. Uh, you create the first one and, you know, three or four months later, there may only be two or three components from that first one in it, uh, because you're going to learn a lot about what you think your market is, uh, what you think your, your, um, solution is and realizing that, um, you really, you really may not been hitting on the exact pain points and the solution that you're proposing really needs to pivot two or three times or 10 times before you actually, uh, address the true pain. Mm. Well, you just used one of Kevin Ross's favorite words, pivot. He'll, he'll be, he loves he'll that be word kicking himself again. Why wasn't I on that episode? You know, but as executive producer, he can come in anytime and say whatever he wants. He's like the voice of God. He's like <laughs> sex machina in a, in a big tragedy. But anyway, um, I don't want to, I don't want all of this to go to Kevin's head, but <laughs> too um, late. 
that you made. <laughs> but I, one of the talking points you mentioned to us in our correspondence prior to us doing this episode with you, Tim, which is a great honor and super fun, by the way, is you mentioned the idea of innovation and the responsibility of the nursing profession to advance healthcare. So mm-hmm. can you give us a little, a little yeah. uh, diatribe about why that's important? Yeah. Yeah. Let me get out my soapbox and oh. stand up here. Um, oh, you have another one? No. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Nice. Well played. <laughs> um, so I, um, I wanted, you know, I, I hit this number already, but I think it's really important for people to hear. Um, so the 2008 report by the World Health Organization showed that nurses provide 90% of healthcare worldwide. 90% of healthcare. Um, and, you know, working in Columbus and, and being an engaged and involved in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, um, there are a lot of healthcare startups that are coming out of here that are doing great things. We actually just had one here called Cover My Meds uh, that sold for $1.1 billion back in January. Uh, they do prior authorization of medications. Um, and they have a great model because they actually have a, a software programmer and a pharmacist as their founders. Um, but most of the other ones in, in, in Columbus and most of the other ones I see around the world rarely have a clinician involved in their, um, in their founder group or, uh, or on their initial group of, of five to 10 employees. Um, and you know, all these things, all these decisions that are being made are, as Sean was saying earlier, impact the nurse at the bedside or the physician or the PA or whoever it is. Uh, but all these decisions that are being made are impacting the way that we are practicing but we're not going to the table or we're not asking to be at the table or we're not building the team that sits around the table that makes those decisions. So, you know, there's two ways to look at it. It's one to accept that this is the way that business is run right now or two, get involved and engage in the process and start these companies ourselves or get on the boards of these companies ourselves and really be more active um, professionals to advance the profession for which we care so much about. Can I get an amen? Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I guess that's what's interesting is that that your beliefs, which are were shared amongst the three of us as well, is that it's ironically and scarily not common. Right. You know, it's that that we actually have to fight for a seat at the table as opposed to assuming that we're going to have a seat at the table. And Even I think though, that that's inherent to nursing even in health systems, you know, um, we have the largest uh, representative of staff within a health system. Uh, but when you look at the budget and when you look at the resources that are allocated to a chief nurse executive or a chief nurse officer, uh, I, I challenge any organization who says, you know, one for one, more more resources are allocated to the nursing team than they are um, to any of the other systems within a, within a health core organization. I think it's like a, you know, a rite of passage. It's just that nurses are experts at advocating for our patients and others, but we suck at advocating for ourselves and our profession. We really do. Cue another amen right there. uh, And I, you know, I I don't know if it's something that we, we get inadvertently and directly taught, or it's something that we just have accepted because it's been tradition, but my hat's off to you, my friend, because it ain't going to change unless someone changes it. So um, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Sean. 
<laughs> so I there's so many things that I could sit here and just gab about with you because I uh, my personal uh, interest in what you're doing is a little scary. I've become a fanboy. Sorry. Just want to put that out there. A bit of a it's not boy. that far of a drive from Pennsylvania to Ohio. No, it is not. That's the other no. thing is that we're like neighbors. Yeah. This, this, this is scary. So, Sean, I, only about ten or 20,000 people will hear that you said that. <laughs> so I'm going to start stalking him. Sean, we got to get T-shirts. We're going to no, wear T-shirts at the yeah. conference with his name on it. Like, <laughs> hey, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag toot. <laughs> Can we take your bags? <laughs> we have to explain that now. It wasn't recorded in the past. So now we have to explain that. And and actually, the, the irony is that um, no. I'll tell this story real quick. So we were joking beforehand about um, you know as nurses do bodily functions and other components. Um, and I have twenty. As Keith mentioned, I have twins at home. Uh, and last night we went out to dinner with an, another family. Uh, who's expecting twins and a little scared about, you know, what that process looks like. And very quickly in a dinner, about four or five minutes in, um, our daughters learned a new word and a new body function. So she just looked up at everybody and started going, toot, 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 indicating that she had just uh, tooted. So uh, we, we were having a good laugh and joke about that earlier. And, and then Ashley shared some other things that I don't know if we're going to talk about here next. But <laughs> <laughs> You know what? We're, we're laying it all on the line, so... I hope Ash doesn't mind, but um, I don't mind. Yeah, we're going to do hashtag body burp as well. Oh, so, right. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. Apparently uh, in uh, Ash's uh, household when she was growing up, I'm sorry, Ashley, you tell the story. Oh, okay. No, you. I was hoping you would, but yeah, my <laughs> mother thought the word fart was not very eloquent for ladies to say, so she made us call it body burp. I like body burping, which is so much worse. So much now, worse. Now, hold on a minute. Maybe I, maybe I'm, I'm, my memory's bad, but didn't you have nurses or healthcare professionals in your family? Yeah, but it was more about just sounding, you know, like a lady and not being like, uh, I fired it, you know? And they didn't work so, in gastro, so. Uh, so go, anyways. Go figure. So the word cute is very cute. Yes. yes. You know what? And, I hate to say and, it, but. Toot was in my language as a kid, so it's probably for the same reason that Ashley's mom wouldn't say fart. People <laughs> use toot instead of fart. I don't That's know. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow, we are digressing, and Kevin Ross now is wiping his forehead saying, Phew, glad I wasn't on that <laughs> Glad episode. I wasn't on that episode. <laughs> so let's let's center ourselves for, for one last topic that, wow. you know, there's so many things that, that Tim is amazing, that it's amazing what you're doing. It really is, and it's exciting and I'm going to say scary for someone like myself and many other nurses out there that have this interest in maybe crossing that entrepreneurial threshold. Mm-hmm. You know, it, one of the reasons why I'm interested in upping my entrepreneurial game is finances. Not going to lie. It would be nice to be maybe living a little bit more comfortably. You know, nurses, nurse practitioner salary is respectable, but I also have some serious school loans that I got to pay off. So talk a little bit about your financial independence that you have. And I'm going to just throw this word out here because there's I have huge question marks next to it. But mustachianism, mustachianism. Oh, you got to You got to You got a school brother. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ashley may be familiar with it because the movement started actually out in Colorado. I think where Kevin lives in Longmount. 
Um, I don't know. I'm racking my brain. Oh, I don't know. I know what you're going to say. So, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. So there's, there's a gentleman there who goes by the tag handle Mr. Money Mustache. Um, and he is a part of this, this large movement that started, I, I mean, it's been around forever, but it's really gained some traction in the last 10 to 15 years, which is called FIRE. Uh, which stands for financially independent early retirement or financially reti- independent retire early, depending on how you want to spell fire. Um, but it's a, a movement of um, challenging individuals to recognize their spending and their saving habits and how that impacts their life. So uh, Pete, who's, who's Mr. Money Mustache, he um, worked as an engineer uh, until he was 31 years old. Uh, his wife did the same until she was 30, and when they had their first son, they had saved enough money to never have to work uh, for a salary again. Um, so, you know, when you talk about financial independence or early retirement, it's more geared towards not having to work for work that you don't want to do. So that doesn't mean that you're retired, you're at a golf course every day, um, unless that's what you want to be doing with your retirement. It's more of, I can pick the projects that I want to do, I don't have to rely on a steady income um, and I can kind of choose what makes me fulfilled and happy in life. Um, so go ahead. And the mustache? I'm picking my jaw off, so, off of the floor right now. Yeah. So Mr. Money Mustache is just his tag, his handle, his tagline, but it, Mustachianism oh. is the group of, of individuals who have kind of followed him. Um, so believe it or not, his blog generates way more money than he could ever need now. Uh, I think it has over a million unique visitors per month. Um, so, you know, if you type in Mr. Money Mustache, you'll see, you know, you'll find his blog, which, you know, I I think is phenomenal, but there's also a bunch of, uh, articles and podcasts that he does. Um, and it, you know, it's all about, I'm not financially independent at this time and entrepreneurship probably isn't going to be the way that gets me there. Uh, but I think what entrepreneurship is going to be for me is that when my wife and I hit, uh, our target for financial independence, um, then entrepreneurship and engaging or running a business where I may only make $5,000 one year and then, you know, you know, have, have that potential for, for massive growth after that, or, um, maybe not even massive growth, but just a little added income that comes in. Um, it provides you with a little bit of freedom to be doing the work that you want to do and not have to worry about, you know, what, what numbers are written on that paycheck at the end of each month. Here, here. I hear you. I just that. signed up for the newsletter. I'm already yeah. on the website. I'm on it. Now. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if you're are too as well, and we're going to if you haven't that. been, I encourage you to go back to the beginning because a lot of the fundamentals of what he talks about are are from that first year. And there's if if you're going to start, you know, if you just decide you want to read one article, read the alarmingly simple math behind early retirement, um, okay. and that okay. talks about essentially what you need to do to retire whether it's early or late, is you need to have 25 times your annual expenses. Don't worry about what Fidelity tells you or, or everyone else. According to Mustachium, they say, don't worry about those things. Really what needs to happen is that you need to have at least 25% of your annual expenses. Okay. And when that happens, if, if they're invested, um, because of the way that the stock market has had gains uh, over, you know, as, as it averages out over um, a long period, um, you should be able to average at least 4% in gains. So at, at 25% of where you're at, or 25% or 25 times your annual income, um, if you're making 4% on that, that will cover the 4% that you spend. So let's say you have a million dollars saved and you spend $40,000 a year. If you have that all invested, that million dollars, and you make 
each year, then you make $40,000 and you can spend your $40,000. At the end of the year, you still have a million bucks. And guess what it's going to do next year? It's going to make $40,000. You spend that $40,000 next year and what do you still have? A million bucks. So it's all about having that, that invested income that's going to at least spin off that 4%. Um, and he, he has a lot of data on there that shows that over the history of the stock market, you can't go wrong here. So, yeah. um, Tim, I'm, come I'm, on, I'm, you know, nurses and math, come on. I know. I'm not, wait, I'm wait, not. How many drops per minute? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, dear me. Well, we're going to have links to all of this in the show notes, obviously, at rnfmradio.com forward slash episode 254. And we're also going to have links to all of your stuff that you're doing at OSU, Tim, including the Innovation Studio, a link to your LinkedIn profile. I just sent you a request, by the way, and your Twitter profile at Tim Raderstorf. It is R-A-D-E-R-S-T-O-R-F. That will be in the show notes as well. And Tim, we are all super psyched because we're going to be seeing you in Florida September 8th, 9th, and 10th in, uh, what is it? St. Pete's Beach, Florida for the NNBA conference. So we're super psyched to see you in just a few months. Yeah, not too far down the road. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be we'll great. Be, we'll be easy to spot. Yes. yes. We'll we're going to have your shirt. My, you'll we're have my face on your shirt. Yeah, pretty <laughs> yes. much. And, Hashtag um, toot. Hashtag toot. Body burp. And we'll actually have an RNFM radio and Pulse Media table too. So we'll all be kind of hovered around that table with all the awesome stuff sitting there and all the awesome people along with Elizabeth Scala and Kevin Ross. So Tim, thank you so much for being here. It has been super awesome. And we just want to thank you for taking the time to be with us. Yeah. You know, these are the things that really excite me uh, because when we're at, at Ohio State and granted, we're, you know, neither the largest or second largest university uh, in the U.S., it, it's sometimes challenging to get outside of our ecosystem and, and really share our message with other people and talk to people who are really excited about it. So, you know, today's going to be one of those days where I'm bouncing off the walls, going through the hall because uh, I got to got to speak with people who who speak our language and are, are really excited about uh, the things that we can do. So hoping to connect and collaborate with you guys here not too far down the road. Awesome. Thank you. Challenge so accepted. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, thanks again for being here for another episode of RNFM Radio. If you'd be so kind, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. It actually really does help other people find the show if you do that. So I won't use reverse psychology here. I'm just going to say go over to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and we thank you. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at RNFM Radio. And definitely check out at On The Pulse Media on Twitter and our Pulse Media Network public Facebook group. Hang out over there and talk about podcasting. RNFM Radio is produced and edited by the incredible Tim Hollowell of thepodcastingguy.com. Tim is also the producer extraordinaire at Pulse Media Network. Our executive producer and podcasting guru is none other than Kevin Ross. And our thanks to the entire team at Pulse Media for their support, including Marie Rittenhouse, our resident marketing strategist, and Gloria Attar, rhymes with guitar, our social media marketing manager. I'm Keith Carlson, at Nurse Keith and at Nurse Keith Coaching. Sean? I'm Sean Dent. You can find me at SeanDent.com or at Sean P. Dent. And Ashley. I'm Ashley Poffett-Miller now. 
And you can find me on Facebook at Ashley Nurse, Ashley Nurse by Heart and also on Instagram. Awesome. So be well, everyone. Dig deep in your lives and your careers and keep coming back for more until you achieve the success and goals that you're after. And we'll see you next time right here on RNFM Radio. Peace. Bye.